Let us hear the word of our God, Titus 3, and beginning in verse 12. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. <clears throat> Amen. Well, last time we began this final section, verses 12 and following, and Paul simply informs Titus of his plans. Simply, Artemis, or Tychicus, will be sent to replace Titus and minister in Crete, uh, at least for a time. And uh, Paul wants Titus then to come to him at Nicopolis for the winter. And so we spent a little time last time uh, learning a little bit about these men, about Tychicus, about Artemis, and where Nicopolis was. Um, Whenever we're dealing with history and events and people and so forth, there are always many questions, and usually most of them can't be answered very uh, completely. But these are real people, real places, real events, and uh, these men sought to extend God's kingdom. And so they are models for us to follow, uh, even though we don't know much about them. Now, as I was reflecting on things uh, since last Sunday, uh, I did think of another point that we should consider here for a moment as we begin. Um, And that is, notice that church planting is very targeted. Uh, Paul isn't just randomly wandering around um, and uh, going uh, wherever he might feel like it that day, as it were, but he went to Crete very specifically. And planted a church or several churches there. He specifically sends Titus to continue that work. And then Paul is very deliberate about going to Nicopolis, possibly to revisit, as I mentioned last time, but possibly to plant a new church or churches there. It's very specific, very intentional, not random. So we, um, uh, in modern uh, mission work and church planting work, we follow the same ideas here, especially in the PCA, and uh, very intentional. So, for example, there's the church plant down in Cranberry Township. It's very intentional. We need a reform presence in this location, and so uh, very uh, targeted in that way. Uh, Same was true roughly 10 years ago when we needed one up in the Seneca direction, and so specifically said we need to plant a church here. Nay Park has a rather unwritten rule that we're not going to plant another Nay Park church within 10 miles uh, of an existing one. And so things are very specific in this way, and it follows the pattern that we see here. Uh, we've mentioned the Colburns a couple times this morning, the same thing in Japan. It's very targeted in terms of uh, where they seek to, to minister. <clears throat> Now, this is not to mean that the spirit is not working or it's all man-centered or man-made or something to that effect. Uh, It is likely the case that there were individual churches that were planted in Crete that weren't necessarily what Paul had in mind. 
We don't know, but it is uh, certainly not out of the realm of possibility. We do know that Paul planned to go to Ephesus on the second missionary journey, and the Spirit said no, and it wasn't until the third one. We do know that Paul wanted to go to Rome, but he came in chains. So um, as we target things, as we have plans and so on and so forth, we certainly are submitting ourselves to the work of the Spirit. But nevertheless, it's not just random. And so another uh, point here for us to to consider as uh, we reflect on some of these final words. Uh, Again, I think our tendency is when we read some of these final words in the letter, we're like, oh, we don't know any of these people, and we just kind of skip over it or, or skim through it or something like that. <clears throat> but there are uh, a number of things for us to learn, and uh, here's another. So then, let's now transition to verse 13 and look at these two other men here. Verse 13, send Zenos the Lord and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. <clears throat> We come now to the fourth command that Paul has given in these final verses. Remember, there's one in verse 9, one in verse 10, one in verse 12, and now here in verse 13. And like the previous, this also is at the end of the clause. And so literally the sentence reads, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos send, or sorry, with haste, send on their journey. <clears throat> that with haste is prior to it. Um, and like we've seen with the others, it's likely for emphasis to uh, drive home the point in some way. All right, so let's talk a little bit about these men. First of all, Zenus. Like Artemis in the last verse, he is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. So uh, we know very little about him. Paul does tell us, though, that he was a lawyer. Now, <clears throat> because he is with Apollos, And we know that Apollos was from Alexandria in Egypt. Some people then uh, speculate that Zenos was a lawyer from Alexandria. In other words, a Jewish uh, man from uh, the upper classes of Alexandria, Egypt. And uh, he came to faith in Christ and so forth. There were many Jews in Alexandria. um, And uh, it's certainly a possibility. And Crete would have been a common stop if you're traveling to Alexandria. So, again, it would make some sense. Um, The biggest argument against this idea is that Zenos is a Greek name, and it means gift of Zeus. Um, Not sure too many um, Jewish parents would name their child gift of Zeus. So it is more likely that he was a lawyer in the Roman and Greek law system. Would have been part of the upper class because of it. Trained in law, trained in rhetoric. Um, And so I think it makes more sense that he was a Gentile who came to faith in Christ. Um, Now there must have been another Zenos for Paul to say it like this. Typically they just use first names unless there was uh, someone else with the same name. So there must have been another Zenos that uh, Titus would have known about and so forth, uh, hence the added word lawyer. Some have suggested maybe Zenos was one of Paul's lawyers when Paul was on trial. We know Paul defended himself, but maybe he used lawyers on certain occasions. Maybe this man came to faith because of that. 
We don't know. But whatever the case, it sure sounds like he was a faithful believer. It's possible that he was just hired to help Apollos now, but much more likely he was uh, a, a believer in Jesus, that he had come to faith. And so he now is traveling with Apollos. The first point for us here then is similar to what uh, we saw last week with Artemis. Um, most people in the history of the world are not known a hundred years later. Um, and in, uh, in this case, we know this man's name, but really that's about it. And that's likely going to be the case with us if Christ doesn't return. But it really doesn't matter how well we're known. Whether someone knows our name 100 years from now or 2,000 years from now, what matters is are we faithful to Christ today and uh, working in his church, in his kingdom in some way, either an official way like myself or in an unofficial way. What matters is that we are being faithful to our Lord. And this man must have been to be able to um, be coming here with Apollos. So let's now talk <clears throat> briefly about Apollos. Uh, this name is much more familiar to us. So let's turn here first to Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> Acts 18. Apollos is mentioned several times actually in the New Testament. And let me give a little context here. You recall this is at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. He had left Antioch, revisited the churches in southern Galatia, Wanted to go to Ephesus, the Spirit said no, went up to Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica, down to Athens and Corinth, and planted churches all along the way. And then remember, he sailed over and briefly said hi to the elders in Ephesus, and then headed to Jerusalem and back to Antioch. Well, while Paul was, if you will, uh, on furlough, so to speak, and before he started his third missionary journey, we have these words about Apollos. So at the end of the chapter, Acts 18, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Let me pause there just a moment. Several things mentioned. Uh, first of all, obviously, he's from Alexandria. So he would have been a Jew, not from Jerusalem, not from Judea, but uh, part of that group that left Israel in the days of Jeremiah. And remember, they took Jeremiah to Egypt and such. And, and so a quite sizable Jewish uh, uh, community was established in Egypt and Alexandria at its height. It was at least two or three million Jews. And so here this man is from uh, this place. This is where the Septuagint was done. We have the Alexandrian family of manuscripts for the New Testament, a very significant place. Okay. Um, again, because of this connection, this is why some suggest that Zenos was uh, a Jew, uh, but again, likely more Gentile. Um, this also is why some people suggest that Apollos was on his way home. He was on his way to Alexandria, and that very well may have been the case. Okay. Now, we also see that he was an eloquent man. That word could be translated as wordsmith. Uh, this indicates that he was trained in rhetoric. He was a very good speaker. And um, uh, we'll see how this becomes an issue here in just a moment. Um, now let's continue to read. 
uh, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, remember that's Greece, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here's a man who had come to faith in Christ, but there were certain parts of his theology that were not accurate. Here in particular, the issue of baptism. And so note, he's humble enough, even with all his great rhetorical training, he was humble enough to receive correction. Uh, from Priscilla and Aquila, and, uh, and God used him mightily in Ephesus before Paul came to Ephesus, and then in Corinth after Paul was there. And so if you look at chapter 19, verse 1, it says, and it happened while Paulus was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And so these events are happening in between his missionary journeys and so on. All right, now let's turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paulus is mentioned several times, and you likely remember uh, several of these. All right, now remember, <clears throat> when Paul came to Ephesus on the third missionary journey, while he was there, he took a trip to Corinth, and he wrote this letter. Okay. And so, right, you got the end of chapter 18 there in Acts uh, as part of the backstory. And so then, note verse 12 of chapter 1. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? If you turn over to chapter 3, <clears throat> Verse 4, hey, remember we read verse 3, or I did for us this morning with envy and strife and divisions and such. Verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Assume the answer, yes. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. If you look down at verse 22, whether of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And then in chapter 4, verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. All right, so as we put all these uh, verses and, and certainly others uh, together here, uh, obviously there was division in the church in Corinth. And it had to do with personality. Okay? Surprise, surprise. Same thing today, of course, in so many churches. Um, but uh, most likely what happened is that Paul came and he planted the church, and, and people were like, yeah, Paul's our, our man, as it were. And then along comes Apollos, and he turns out to be a better speaker than Paul. And so some were like, hey, Apollos is better than Paul. 
We need to follow him. He's our guy. And then this led to other divisions and so on and so forth. And Paul's like, you guys are missing the point. What matters is God used me to plant the church. God used Apollos to water the church. What matters is God is the one who is working among you, but focusing on men. And so hence the division and Paul's rebuke and Apollos is part of this. There is no indication, though, as you read through these verses, that Apollos was part of the problem. There's no indication that he said, hey, you know, I'm better than Paul. You need to follow me or something like that. People um, obviously started thinking that way. But there's no indication that Apollos was calling attention to himself. Let's turn also then to 1 Corinthians 16 and uh, verse 12. Hey, Paul's giving some final plans and such here in this letter. And in verse 12, he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he is quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So when Paul sent the letter, again, he's in Ephesus, sending the letter to Corinth. He wanted Apollos to come. Apollos says, not right now. I'll go later. Um, and so here's another mention of him. Now, one more thing here in regard to Apollos in this way. Um, Some people have suggested that he was the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, of course, historically, many people have said Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I would agree with those who say, no, that's not the case. There are too many differences between Paul's known letters and the book of Hebrews uh, that it's very likely not Paul. But the suggestions of Barnabas or Apollos are common alternatives. And it is possible that Apollos is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. As good as he was with uh, rhetoric, he certainly would have the skill to write it. Um, He was a Jew. Uh, It would make sense uh, that that would be the case. But it also makes sense that Barnabas wrote it. Uh, We just don't know. But it is possible that this same man, Apollos, wrote it. The point, of course, that I want us to see here is... uh, This is a real man, right, real situation here and so forth, but notice how useful he was in the early church. We don't know anything about Zenos. He must have been useful too. But Apollos, we definitely know how God used him. And so notice this added point. Apollos was a very skilled man. He was trained in rhetoric, it sounds like, along with Zenos in law. We don't all have to be lawyers. We don't all have to be trained in, uh, you know, get a grad degree or something to that effect. Um, but God does use very skilled people in his church. But it isn't interesting that we have 13 letters of Paul and at most one letter of Apollos. And I think that teaches us something about what God wants us to do in the churches. He doesn't want us to speak over people's heads like so often happens with rhetoric. He doesn't want us to emphasize rhetorical style. He wants us to focus on the text. And so uh, this has some important teaching for us in regard to preaching and teaching. But the ultimate point is God uses each person with the gifts he has given to them for the benefit of his church. All of us have been given gifts by God. 
Some of us have been given more gifts than others. Some of us have been given more obvious gifts than others. But we've all been given gifts by God to be used in his church, to minister, to uh, encourage one another, to extend the kingdom of God. And so Zenos, don't know much, but God used him. Apollos, we know a whole lot more, and God used him as well. And so uh, the same applies for us. Let's be used by God. Let us develop our skills and our gifts that he has given to us. Don't bury them, but use the talents that he has given to bless the people of God. All right. Maybe one last thought here in this way. As I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, there's no indication that Apollos was all in on this division. Uh, He was leading the way, saying, follow me, rather than Paul. It is very tempting for any one of us in the church to want people to follow us. We want to be the center of attention. We want people to do what we say, and so on and so forth. Certainly this can be true among the leadership. But how many churches are led by non-leaders because they have a charismatic personality, they have lots of money, they're well-known, or whatever it is? Those things are really unimportant. What is most important is serving God. And again, Apollos seemed to have been very gifted, but he wasn't all about himself. And so God has gifted us. Let's not make it about ourselves either about him so uh, a few thoughts here in this way all right now let's come to the main point of this verse again it says Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with haste send on their journey and so here's the command it sounds like Zenos and Apollos accompanied either Artemis or Tychicus doesn't sound like they traveled separately. It sounds like they all came together. And so these men brought this letter from Paul to Titus. And so Artemis or Tychicus stayed, and Titus left, of course. But now we see that Zenos and Apollos continued on somewhere else. And so we're going to guess here a little bit. It is probable that they came from either Asia, right, Ephesus area, or Greece, possibly Corinth. Maybe they came from Philippi or something to that effect. But wherever they came from, they come here to Crete. But Paul indicates they're not staying there. Artemis or Tychicus will, but these men are not. They're continuing on. Where are they going? We don't know. Jerusalem? Maybe. Alexandria? Maybe. Maybe somewhere else. But what is clear is they're not staying in Crete. And so the direction that Paul gives to Titus is this. Send them on. Send them forth. Or as the New King James says here, send them on their journey. Now there are two things that Paul adds to this command uh, to to give us some instruction here. The first one is this. In verse 12, notice we have the same command there. When, or same word, when I send Artemis to you. Well, in the Greek, they're a little bit different. The one in verse 12 is, if you will, the generic word for send. 
This one has an additional word added to it, which gives some direction. So to send forth, or to send on their way, or send on their journey. So the command itself is saying, right, they're not going to stay in Crete. The second thing we see is this. In verse 12, the command was, you recall, be diligent. And as I mentioned last week, be diligent has the idea of haste with it. Hey, be diligent to, to come quickly to me. Well, the same root word, it's a verb in verse 12, it's an adverb here in verse 13, it's the same root word, okay, it, it's used here, and that's the, uh, uh, the word here, with haste, with haste. So send on their journey and send with haste, send with diligence, you could say, okay, work hard to make sure they keep moving, don't hold them up or something like that. Now, I asked this question last week. Why the urgency? We don't know for sure. But based on what Paul says about coming to Nicopolis to winter there, it at the very least suggests, if not clearly indicates, that that's why the the haste is needed. Come to me quickly, Titus, because you don't want to uh, get stuck somewhere and and, uh, not see me for another six months or something like that. And here now... Uh, Paul is saying, send them on with haste, because, again, quite possibly, uh, he doesn't want them to get stuck in another storm. Remember the last time, well, I shouldn't say it that way, you remember the time that Paul came to Crete, uh, he got stuck in a storm, <laughs> because the, the captains wouldn't listen to him. He doesn't want that to happen here to Apollos and uh, to Zenos. Now again, we're guessing here, uh, but that is... Um, can you say probable? It certainly is possible. Other people have suggested maybe they're trying to get to Jerusalem before, say, the Day of Atonement. Remember, Paul had done that with Pentecost and such. He wanted to get there uh, before all of those things. Uh, maybe there was a family reunion in Alexandria, and, and so hurry up and get there. I mean, we don't know. But whatever the case, Paul is saying, hurry them on their way. All right, now notice the last part of the verse. It says that they may lack nothing. Okay, so send them on their journey, send them with haste, in order that they may lack nothing. Now this clearly then indicates to us that the sending forth means far more than, hey, it's good to see you, Paulus and Zenos, you know, have a good trip. It's far more than that. Okay, it was far more than, oh, let me say a prayer before you get on your journey here. Paul is indicating with this this clause that Titus needs to show hospitality to these two men. He needs to provide for them, for Zenos, for Apollos. Give them food or clothes or supplies, anything that they need. Now this is somewhat interesting uh, because most likely these two men uh, came from at least some kind of wealthy background to be a lawyer Uh, To be trained in rhetoric uh, at least suggests that, if not more. Um, And yet here's Paul saying to Titus, hey, give them whatever they need for their trip. If it took them a week to sail uh, uh, from Crete to wherever they were going, say Alexandria, make sure they have enough. Well, once again, there are a lot of things we don't know for sure. But do you see the idea? Do you see the principle here? 
Let's do the same kinds of things. When people are passing through, doing the work of God in some way, right? minister to them. And even if Apollos is just going home for some family reunion, provide for a fellow believer when they are in need. If we were to focus on uh, mission work, uh, think about the missionaries who come and visit. Think about the church planners. Okay? We just had the, the note from the Colburns we read this morning and referenced their visit here. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, again, it's possible that Zenos and Apollos are just traveling for some, if you will, everyday reason, but most likely it was for church business in some way. The implication for us is we need to follow Paul's ideas here to Titus. Let's help. Now, we should send money to whatever, MTW, to help the Colburns and others. Okay, that's fine. But when they come and visit, let's meet their needs. Let's house them for whatever, a day or two they are here. Let's feed them. Let's provide fellowship for them. Let's meet possibly other necessities that they have. Now, obviously, we are unable to meet all the needs of the Colburns when they come and visit. But we can contribute toward that, even over and above what we have budgeted for them. This is Paul's idea, right? It, it's not just our tithe, it's our offering, if you will. Okay? It's not just uh, a flat amount, but we're going over and aboard, uh, uh, above that. And so this is the command that Paul is giving to Titus and the implications for us. Now let's bring in verse 14 because um, it looks like Paul has a, a connection here. He says, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. You see how Paul seems to be expanding the idea. We come now to the fifth command that Paul gives in this section, beginning in verse 9. And this one is different. Okay, all the, the previous four have been very similar uh, in its structure and so on. Now this one says, let our people also learn to maintain good works. So it's very different in that way. Uh, but notice how the also ties verse 14 to verse 13. Let me put it this way. It's not just the job of the pastor to care for people like this. All the people must participate in helping in these kinds of situations. Okay. The other thing to mention is this. The also is uh, indicating that Paul does not have a totally separate idea in this verse. Uh, if you read some commentaries or something like that, some of them will say that verse 14 is a totally different point than verse 13. And that verse 14 is emphasizing good works. Right? This is Paul's theme in the letter. Right? We've seen it in chapters 1, 2, and 3 up to this time and several times. And that Paul is ending the letter with the same idea. Right? Let our people learn to maintain good works. And certainly... Uh, that does fit the overall message of the letter. But that little word also, I think, says, eh, no, that's true. Yes, it does fit with the overall theme. But the good works he has in mind in particular are connected to verse 13. And so again, this is not 
merely the church leaders who are to be participating in these things, but all the people should maintain good works by helping those who are passing through and so on and so forth. Okay? And so all of us should show hospitality. All of us should be participating in helping people with the various needs that they may have. Okay? Notice also this point. It says, let our people also learn to maintain good works. Do you see how learning is not just learning in the mind? It's not just learning certain doctrines. It's not just filling our minds with information. But as we've seen throughout the letter, yes, we do have to have the right way of thinking, but it must lead to the right practice. And so here then, uh, Paul is making that clear again. Live out what you know. Now, obviously, <clears throat> traveling missionaries don't come along all that often. Um, when they do, care for them. We should all participate in that. But, you know, it can apply in other settings, too. And the more general principle is that we should help all believers, especially fellow church members, especially people that we know uh, here locally or whatever. Uh, all of us should reach out and minister to those in need. Now let me uh, point this out. Uh, the New King James says about learning to maintain good works. Your translation may have a different word like engage in or something like that. Um, and certainly it can mean that, to engage in it, you know, practice it if you will. But the word also can mean to care for. Take care to do good works. And in particular here, take care to help others. Care for yourself in this, in this sense by caring for others. Give help is a way that we could paraphrase what Paul is saying. Now the word also can be used in the context of managing. And when it comes to helping people in need, sometimes you need someone who's going to manage, manage it all. Obviously, in the church, the deacons are to lead the way in that. They are to manage things. They are to oversee these things. And then they should right, delegate and get people involved to help and, and so on and so forth. Okay? The word also can mean to strive for, and this is the idea of engaging in, okay, giving extra effort and so on. And so, again, Paul's not... Just saying, hey, you know, sit around or let other people do it. Let's all engage in, let's participate in, let's strive to help those in need. Okay. <clears throat> now, I've mentioned this on other occasions. Remember, it's not the church's job to help those in need on a day-to-day -day basis. We read this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, who is a real widow? Right? And so it's not the church's job just to care for anybody and everybody. It is the church's job to care specifically for people in need. And so it's not our job to run a soup kitchen. It's not our job to run a homeless shelter. It's not our job as a church to establish a retirement home community or a nursing home or something like that. Individual believers can do this. They can work together to do this. 
But it's not the job of the church to do this on a regular basis. We have a limited focus. Our focus as a church, of course, is to proclaim the word of God, to minister to the body, spiritually especially, but also physical needs. But again, we we have a, 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 if you will, narrow window. We're not just helping everyone. Um, And so it comes to widows, right, families to take care of them, and so on. Um, And so deacons really are going to be leading the way in these things, uh, caring uh, for uh, members in the church, helping them, and so on. Uh, But each of our families are to care uh, for our own, and and so on. And another way to think of it is this, um, especially if we don't have aging parents or something to that effect. um, But a family can, if you will, target, so to speak, someone in need. And so your family may see this person in need over here. Okay, we're going to commit to help that person. We can't help everybody. It's just impossible. But we can uh, take someone on, so to speak, and and help them. Um, And again, this uh, is what, what Paul is addressing as we expand his principle here of helping Apollos and Zenos. All right, now the next clause here is to meet urgent needs is how the new king james says it and that's a fair way of translating it uh, notice they're adding a word there uh, to communicate that idea um, the the lack of the greek word in there does make it somewhat unsure here but uh, the word can be translated as necessary needs um, immediate needs so hence the term urgent i, I think is fitting uh, things that are pressing, things that are, can you say, unique, uh, important. Uh, certainly we should help people in general. But Paul here is emphasizing, okay, on those unique situations where there's an immediate need, a necessary need that has come along that isn't part of our day-to-day things, okay, let's make sure we're doing that. And so when someone shows up expecting, unexpectedly, okay, let's drop what we're doing, let's try to help them. Okay. Um, it is likely that Titus didn't know that all three of these men were, were coming. Maybe he had a heads up. Maybe said, Paul said several months before, yeah, I expect this probably will happen. Um, but that certainly isn't always the case. And sometimes do, th- uh, things do happen unexpectedly. Maybe somebody goes to the hospital, okay, well, make extra food um, or something like that. Once again, it's not just the, pa- the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the church leaders. But all of us, the so-called average Christian, should be participating as well. We should help for daily needs, but Paul here is emphasizing the urgent needs, the unique ones. Zenos and Apollos are not a daily need. It's an occasional need. Paula and Fred and Matt have occasional needs okay we're not talking about caring for an aged parent that is uh, you know we have needs from day to day to day but something that is more unique is what he's emphasizing here we should help in both but here's his emphasis now notice how he ends the verse that they may not be unfruitful okay and so Care for others, help others, maintain good works in this way so that they may not be unfruitful. Now notice the double negative here. 
Paul did not say, uh, so that they may bear fruit. That'd be the positive way. But he puts it negatively and double negatively, so they will not be unfruitful. Helping others is good fruit. Not helping others is not good fruit. It is bad. Let me put it this way. If we are always waiting for somebody else to help in those needs, how are we bearing fruit? If we're always waiting for somebody else, and and if nobody else raises their hand, then okay, I'll I'll do it. Um, That sounds like you're being forced into it. Not that you're really eager to maintain good works in this way. And if we are reluctant to help people in need, what does that say about our tree? If we're not bearing fruit, does this mean we're not a true believer? Maybe. At least we're being disobedient. Now surely there are times where we are unable to help. But most of the time, the I'm too busy excuse is just that. It's an excuse. And a lame one. Most of the time when people say, oh, I'm too busy, I just kind of laugh. Like, look, if you really want to do it, you're going to do it. It's an issue of desire far more often than it is an issue of actually being able to do it. And Paul is challenging us here. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't use excuses. It is our responsibility as the people of God to minister to the people of God. And and so let's do so. True believers bear good fruit. And here is one of the fruit that is born. Now, as a final thought, not surprisingly, Paul words this in such a way to tie together all the things he said throughout the letter about good works. And isn't it interesting that this is the last one he leaves in our minds in the letter? Okay. Certainly it's a significant one. All right, well, um, next time we'll look at verse 15, and I might actually possibly start first Samuel, or Second Samuel next week. We'll return to our study of Samuel. Um, we'll see how that goes. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for um, these men that you used in the early church. We thank you for Zenos, though we don't know much about him. We thank you for Apollos. We thank you for the gifts you gave to them and the gifts you give to us. We thank you, Lord, for all of your people throughout history, whether known or not. And again, we ask that you would help us to... um, Uh, be used by you to minister to your church. And here in particular, as Paul has emphasized, help us um, to get outside of ourselves and uh, to be willing to help those in need, whether it's a daily need or an urgent need or whatever it is. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to bear fruit in this way and that we would not be unfruitful and thus be selfish and, and so on. So, Lord, we, we pray for your mercies in this way, that you would grow us in these things, and uh, that you would then use us for your glory 
and to extend your kingdom and minister to your people. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.